Awesome. We are starting a new series today that is, um, I believe, is going to be very good and very critical for the development of our church and for you, because you are the church. With that being said, we have a video that we want to show you guys. Uh, it is a message from the Apostle Paul, the Apostle John, and the Apostle Peter written uh, throughout the New Testament. Here you go. To all God's holy people in Christ at Philippi, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. To Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called saints, grace to you and peace from God. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ who are at Colossae, grace and peace from our Father. To Titus, my true child, in the common faith, grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus, our Savior. John, to the seven churches of Asia, grace to you and peace from him who was, who is, and who is to come. To God's elect scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, and Asia, grace and peace be to you in the fullest measure. To the church of Thessalonians, grace to you and peace from God, our Lord Jesus Christ. To the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. To the church in Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father. In doing some study, um, I had known that grace uh, is written about in multiple times, but I didn't realize that it was written about in just about every New Testament letter in the Bible. I also didn't realize that more than 75% of every letter in the New Testament also closes with the same address, grace to you, grace to you, grace to you. And, uh, and so this message of this series is super um, difficult for me to, to process. God has done a massive work in me. And um, so if you're visiting today, I want you to know this is going to be a different kind of service, mostly because I'm a mess. I have cried countless times recently because I am having a really difficult time processing grace. If I was to be completely honest, I don't understand it. And so imagine your calculus teacher trying to teach you calculus if he doesn't know calculus. And that is what is happening today. I am massively overwhelmed with something that I can't define. And uh, it, is a, it is a message from all of the apostles to you that culturally doesn't make sense. Grace to you. I wondered if this is just a New Testament thing or if it's also an Old Testament thing. And so as I begin to just process some of the stories in the Old Testament, you know, we always think that grace is a New Testament thing. We're saved by grace, but the Old Testament, there was the fulfillment of the law, but we still see the same pattern of God in the Old Testament as he, as he uh, multiplied grace to Abraham for all the mistakes that he made. Samson, he still carried out the, 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 the will of God in his life through countless errors that he made when he dropped the ball again and again and again in his life, yet God still fulfilled his, his mission. Through Noah, God was good to him. God spared him. God did great things. As we would continue uh, through David with Solomon, so many messages and people throughout the Old Testament, God showed and revealed that he does not do grace. He is grace. And, uh, and so it's, it's weird because culturally, um, I think I, I struggle with grace because, at one, it doesn't make sense to me, and two, 
um, it makes me feel uncomfortable. And so I, I think that I have a, a good idea of what grace is. And so I'm like, yeah, I got it. Check. And then any moment that I have to experience it or practice it or receive it, I'm floored that I don't know who grace is or what grace looks like. And so with that being said, as I looked at the apostles and their urgency to not say it once, but to say it again and again and again and again, they were not hoping that we caught this message. They needed us to understand that this now has to become who we are and how we live and operate. And the problem that I'm experiencing with grace is it's not, it's not religion. It makes no sense. And it has to find its way to your heart. Yes. Or it's meaningless. And so today, I have to say a whole message out of ex something I'm experiencing right now. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've pulled over on 98 on Parto Highway crying. Um, and so uh, with that being said, it's going to just be a little cluttered and you have to kind of navigate through what I'm experiencing today in my heart. Does that make sense? Yeah. I apologize in advance. I'm probably going to be weird. Let's pray. Dear Jesus. Oh, that was weird. Dear Jesus. Um, help. Amen. Grace to you. Grace to you. Grace to you. I, I, I understand it, um, kind of. I, I remember um, grace to you, if you were to look it up and as a definition, it would simply say that grace is unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. Meaning you've done nothing to deserve the attention that I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you a massive amount of attention. Can you imagine, first of all, let's just bring that into perspective. God looks at you. Man, I remember being in fifth grade when like the cute girl in the class like looked over at me, you know, or like wrote me a note and I'm like, to me? You know, no, to the guy next to you. Oh, you know, uh, like just a moment of like feeling important, you know, but like I think about like in light of the fact that God is mindful of us, that has to blow me away. The moment that I get used to the fact that God likes me, I've missed everything that I've learned in life. Seven billion people on earth and God knows my name. Yes. That's cool. That's cool. Um, but as I'm trying to define it, uh, that really doesn't make sense to me, unmerited favor. And so uh, my, uh, I had a pastor, uh, Shane, he, he said this years ago. Um, he said that if, if uh, think about it like a courtroom, uh, mercy can be defined this way. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And, and not receiving what you do deserve. And so grace would be just the opposite. It would be receiving something that you simply don't deserve. And so can you imagine the apostles wishing this over you again and again and again, saying, hey, you know what? I really hope that you get what you don't deserve. I really hope that you receive what you don't deserve. I really hope, Nick, that you get what you don't deserve. I really hope, Don, that you get what you don't deserve. I really hope that you receive more and more and more of what you simply don't deserve. This, culturally, I don't care how much you want to try to pretend that you're religious, this does not make sense, and it's not in our DNA. And I'm going to try to do everything I can over this series to explain to you how foreign this really is to us and how much we have to become a mentality and a people that practice, exercise, and walk in grace. 
uh, over this series, I'm going to try to, um, I'm going to try to define grace today, or at least what I know it's not. Um, I think that's the best way to do it. This thing is messy and it's all over the place. There's really no clear lines with grace. You're going to see that as I try to explain this today. Two, uh, next week, I'm going to try to talk to you guys about a second gospel that needs to be preached. A second gospel. That's going to be a weird one. The next, uh, the next one is going to be when, when grace is abused. And finally, grace to others. All of this is something that is so difficult for us. Being an American, being a citizen, having cable television, all of this stuff, we are being inundated and brainwashed to a mentality to act, believe, and think countercultural to everything that is defined as grace. And yet the apostles are trying to push this message so hard. Grace be multiplied to you. Man. Over and over again, I think about, I don't know about you guys or what you watch on TV, but me and my wife, we're kind of boring. We don't even have cable, but we got Hulu, and so we were trying to look for something, and we watch Survivor now. This is our new thing, you know? I don't know if you ever watch any reality shows, but um, reality shows are designed to have you root for someone and root against someone. It's everything that grace is not. When you pick someone, you go, man, I hope that guy gets what he's got coming. Karma, you know, what goes around comes around and that guy's gonna get it. This is in our DNA. I know that you may not say it. We really, we all, we're super, we love and we just only want good things to happen to everyone. You've never ever said, man, that guy's a jerk and one day he's gonna get what he's got coming. <laughs> we don't ever push people out of our life because they're, they're, they're rude or they're dangerous or they're, no, we always receive everyone kindly and, and give to people that take from us. And uh, Jesus, his gospel just doesn't make sense. He said it this way one time. If anyone steals from you, your jacket, give them your shirt also. Yeah, because that's what we do, right? <laughs> oh, you broke into my car last night. Hey, let me put it out there on Facebook. Next time I'm going to leave the keys in the ignition when you come by. Go ahead and take it. It's good. I filled up the gas tank for you. It doesn't make sense, the gospel this grace that God lived out for us and that he's asking us to live. It's countercultural. The scripture that I want you to know here today is that the receive something that you don't deserve is based out of Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. Next week, we're gonna have a lot of scriptures. This week, I don't. I'm really just trying to throw a subject out there on the wall and hopefully this week, it'll get it in your head enough that you'll think about it and you'll try to unscramble some of it. But I promise it's messy. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is a gift from God. Not by works so that no one can boast. This does not make sense. It's by grace that you've been saved through faith. My first point today is that if I was really honest, not even just me, you know, I'm a pastor and I've, had, I've heard enough sermons to know that I don't deserve Jesus. But I think that somewhere in our DNA, we still believe that we, we are good. And there's a part of our nature that has done enough good to make up for the wrong that we've done in our life. And we're probably 50% good. And I, I, I should get to heaven, not, not because um, 
I'm 50% good, but because I know that, that God loves me and that grace kind of tips the scale and gives me like 51% good. And, uh, and, it, and the 51% good kind of outer, outer balances and that's enough that I should get to heaven because uh, Jesus on my side means that I'm, I've done more than, than not enough. And uh, the one thing that I've learned about grace is that um, I am not good. Now, that's a terrible thing for your pastor to say. I'm not good. And this week, I've had to dive into that thought. What does that really mean? Why are we saved by grace? Because your pastor is an awful person. And I had to think about it like this. Um, Why do we need to be saved at all? Why can't I have done enough things to do good to overbalance the bad? Well, I don't know if you know it, but culturally, if you were to think about it like this, if, if you were in a courtroom in the United States, but let's not be in the United States, let's be in the courtroom of heaven for a second. Now, standing in a courtroom in the United States, what would happen is if they found out that you stole something, which most of us have never stole before, right? Maybe... Um, Maybe you have lied. Some of us have even gone as far as to say that we've hated somebody. I don't like that person. That person is wrong. They're even wrong in the house of God. I don't like that person. I don't trust them, and I don't want my family around them. Anyone else ever say this? Maybe it was only your pastor. Uh, but what I've learned is that hatred to God is not a sin. It's a crime, and it's broken a law. Imagine standing in heaven knowing that you're a criminal against heaven. Meaning you don't have the luxury now of operating like a citizen, having liberty to go and do what you want. You must pay the fine. I don't know if you're aware what the fine is in heaven when you are a criminal, but it's not like it is on earth where you just serve time or you pay a, a fee. You don't, counterbalance the wrong you've done with the right. You had to become perfect again. Perfect is impossible. Yet it's something that we're all trying to achieve. Thinking about a courtroom, you know, I didn't, there's a verse here in the book of James. He said this, for a person who keeps all of the laws except one is, is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. Right. Now think about it like this. You're in the courtroom and they found out that you are, uh, you've stolen or you've hated. But you didn't just hate and you didn't just steal and you didn't just covet and you're not just prideful. I didn't just lust and I'm not just arrogant and I'm not just selfish and I didn't, I don't just always know that other people have need but I have want and I choose to not give. I've not broken one law. I've broken all of them. How many is that that you would stand guilty of then, Tim? 613 laws. You broke. I broke. 613 laws. I can tell you today that I am 
selfish. I can tell you that I am prideful. I can tell you that I do scream at my kids sometimes when they don't deserve it. I can tell you that I lose my cool. I can tell you that I'm not generous. I can tell you that I'm, I'm rude when I shouldn't be rude. I've lusted. I've coveted things that you have that I want, that I desire. Every time I get on Facebook, I realize that I want more than I deserve. I've been rude to my parents. I've not kept the Sabbath. I've not, I'm not even talking about the Ten Commandments. I'm talking about the reality that by God's standards, I've broken everything, 613 laws. Can't tip the scale and say that I've fulfilled 613 things. I can't think of many things that I have done right. In our society, just do enough good to outweigh the bad and you're good. But stand in front of a courtroom, having broken three or four or five laws. Today, I'm going to go a little bit longer in the message. But the way that the nature of this, God had put into place, he knew that the penalty wasn't just pay this or serve this time. The way that God designed us to be able to fix the broken area in our life, he had to restore us back to purity. Uh, there was an illustration. This is not in my notes. Uh, my pastor used to do this years ago. Uh, I had a coolest pastor in the world. His name was Patsy. And he, did, he broke all the rules, but he was a youth pastor. And he was allowed to do that. And he used to take this bottle of water and he would take just a, a perfect bottle of water and he'd put just a drop of urine in it. Just one, one eye drop of urine. And he'd say, go ahead and drink it. Not a chance because it was pure and now it's tainted. Now, if you're Bear Grylls, you have no problem with that, right? But for the rest of us that don't like drinking pee, we got a big problem with that. And the only way... God designed a system to get the impurity out of our lives. And it was through innocence. So what we would do as a family, I know that some of you have never experienced this before, but I need you to understand, this is every day. Once a year, the family would go and buy a lamb or pigeons, whatever they can afford. And they found a lamb that they knew was innocent and perfect. And they prayed all of their sins over this perfect creature. Now imagine standing in front of innocence knowing that you lied, you stole, you had the affair, you lusted, you thought the negative things, you were rude, you didn't pray, you didn't go to church, you didn't read your Bible, it was you, it wasn't anyone else. God wanted you to do something and you didn't do it and you've got to pray it over this animal didn't do anything wrong. Now we're not killing it and taking it home to eat it later. It's dying for no reason other than that I'm done wrong. And you and your family march that beautiful lamb down to the church where they slaughter it. And its innocence changes you. The idea of sacrifice wasn't for the purpose of sacrifice. It wasn't even for the purpose of just shedding blood. It was so that it would prick our heart. We would understand that something that was innocent, I did wrong and I choose to not do wrong anymore because I don't want to do this, this, this terrible thing of hurting this animal and that it would change us. I don't want to be that way anymore. Does that make sense? I'm going to go to the handheld. The problem is that animal, there is no temple now. 
That animal is Jesus. He is the one that took on the sins of the world. That we would put upon him our guilt and our shame and our selfishness and our greed and and say, God, I'm, I'm sorry. I need you to take this because I am a terrible person and allow his innocence to prick our hearts to the point where we realize I don't want to do that anymore because I don't want to hurt Jesus. I put the nails in his hands because I am not good. Not good enough, not good. I needed him to die for me. And the worst part is, now that I know Jesus, I still do terrible things. 613 times I've broken the law. I'm not good. Grace to you. It's not that you're good enough. I don't know if you understand the concept of eternity, but it's not my house that was built. It's not your house that's built. You don't get to say who goes and who comes He does. It's his house. He builds it. And he says, if you want to come, you have to come through the way of Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one will come to the Father but through the Son. Whosoever loveth, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, whosoever believeth in him should not perish. The first reason why I struggle with grace is because I feel like, honestly, I'm good enough. Second reason why I struggle with grace it's because it's, it's free. I don't like it to be free. I got to be honest. I feel like when I do wrong and I know that I do wrong, I want to be punished for it. Like, I feel like if you'll just be mad at me, then we can, like, I can pay a, 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 a penalty, but it's, I've never known love like this before. See, I grew up in Pennsylvania in, in cold country and uh, where people work and they work hard. They work real hard. My mom was a single mom and she had three jobs. And I remember my mom every day and so now I got this work ethic inside me. It's, it's terrible. I have a hard time receiving anything that I didn't, I didn't pay for. I can remember a time about three and a half years ago where um, Teresa and I, we were in a bad spot. Our, our AC broke down. And it broke, and we were going to need a new AC, a new ductwork, new everything, and it was going to cost about $10,000. And there was a member of our church that um, loved me enough. Somehow they found out about it, and they approached us and said, hey, we, we want to give you $1,000. Taking that check out of their hand was the hardest thing in the world to me because I didn't know why they did it. I didn't want it because I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve that. It was, it was the right thing to do is for me to go and fix what was my responsibility. See, we're taught from the ages of a little kid. If you finish your dinner, you can have dessert. If you get these grades, then you can have this reward system. We're taught and inundated a reward system all of our life. Do you see this wonderful stick of gum? You can have it if you pay this money for it. Whatever it is you want, you can have it. You just got to have you. You just got to have this price. But free is difficult. It's like going to a friend's house during, 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 during any time of December. If they bought you something, oh, it's a terrible feeling if you didn't get that memo beforehand that we're exchanging gifts. I didn't know. You didn't give me a memo. This is not, I, I don't want it. Take it back. Just keep the money. It's not fair. Like, it's not fair. I don't want what you're giving me right now. I feel uncomfortable and I don't like it. 
Maybe, is it, am I the only one? Free is difficult. Now, if we found out today that underneath everyone's seat, I hit a magic number. And if you look right now and your number is 34, you win $1,000. No one has a problem with that. Caleb, why? Because it's wonderful. Because I won. I did something to deserve it. I don't know what I did, but if I won it, it's great. But if you're giving it to me and I have to pay nothing for it, I don't like it. It's free. And the problem is I broke it. It's my fault. I'm the one that's done wrong. And many of us, this is not just me, but I know so many people that attend our church that, that, that when they sin, when we sin, when we're, when we're yelling at our kids or we get into a fight with our spouse or, or we, 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 we're angry at our boss, we don't want to talk to God then. We want to wait until we're a good person again. Until we, we feel Christian enough to approach God again. Until I've read my Bible today. Or it's hard because I can't, I can't go to church. Some of us struggle putting our hands up and worshiping God because we know we didn't read our Bible all week long. Someone's going to look at me and go, well, that guy's a hypocrite. We're all hypocrites, Jack. We're all, none of us are like Jesus. We're all trying to become like Jesus. And the problem is, is if you're waiting to the day that you earn righteousness, you're going to be waiting a long time. The Bible actually says if you want to work for it, your, your, your works, they're, they're, they're terrible. They're worthless. They're like rags. They're actually gross to him. And here's why, because it's about the heart, right? This is what we're trying to say. It's about the heart. This is why it's important that God gets to your heart. Because we get these massive insecurities when we do wrong. I, I, I'm, I'm terrible. I'm broken. I've done all this. You'll never understand what love is unless you allow him to come into your life in a moment where you know you broke it. But the moment I know that I did it, I lost it, I lied, I was arrogant, I screamed at them, I hate it, I cast judgment, I don't like those people because they're, they're not like me. And God still likes me. It's not fair, God. You shouldn't love me as much as you love. You should love David more. You should love Sam more. You should. Why me? Because I love you. And there's nothing you're going to do that's going to make me love you more. You can't give enough money. You can give 100% of all of the income this year. And God won't love you more. You can't earn his love. You can witness to every person you meet and God won't love you more. He's going to love you because you're his and he loved you and he has a gift. He died for you so that you can have relationship. Here's the problem. There's many people that have miscued what a relationship is supposed to look like and act like. We get into this marriage and we think that the only thing that we do is each other's laundry or we pick up the kids or do the dishes. We enter into a relationship just to fulfill tasks. 
We didn't enter in the relationship to fulfill tasks, to help each other. We entered in the relationship because we want to love each other. God's not interested in what you can do for him. He's interested in you loving him. He's not after your hands, your feet, your mouth. He's after your heart. What he wants you to know is, I know that you're broken. I know that you're an idiot. I know that you're a jerk. I like you. And that rips us apart because I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I don't deserve it. I know grace to you. The apostles wanted you to know there's nothing you're ever going to do that's going to earn this. You can't fulfill 613 commandments. You'll never be good enough. And so because you're not good enough, I wish to you something you don't deserve. His name is Jesus. I wish over you something you don't deserve. And his name is Jesus. Matt, would you come? I'm going to have the ushers come today. What we're going to do is we're going to take communion. Um, and uh, if you've never been here before, we practice open communion. And uh, so we do things a little weird. We have um, some grapes and uh, some crackers. If you're listening to this on the podcast, I want you to know you can use anything, but I want you to take communion right now. So go find Oreos and YooHoo, pizza and Coke, whatever it is. Listen, if we're being honest... I don't know if you, you, the church you come from had the shot glass and the wafer on top, but none of that looked like Passover, which was what Jesus was doing when he took communion. So we just do grapes and a wafer. You can do whatever you want. It's about a meal. It's about breaking bread. It's about celebrating a life and people that God's brought into your life. Does that make sense? So um, we're going to pass out communion. And then we will sing a song while we're passing out communion. And then following communion, uh, I have one more point. And then we'll all take communion together. Does that make sense? Um, All I know, Lord, is that um, if I can get grace into my head, if I can understand that you like me, that you love me, you don't want me to do anything for it. Well, I, I don't know love like that. Maybe that's the point. Maybe I've thought all along that God is loving and I didn't realize that God is love. Father, will you bless these elements today? So um, I have one last point. One is that um, I, th- I thought that I was good and I don't like free gifts. The third one that makes grace uncomfortable for me. Now, I, I believe in my theology that I, I know grace and I'm good with it, but it makes me so uncomfortable and it's such an important thing, especially as an American in a society that you only earn it, you only do it, you got to be good enough, you got to get the degree in order to qualify, all of these things like logic doesn't, doesn't play out this concept of eternity and what God is trying to do. It's a different kind of citizenship. The third thing that is really difficult for me is that it's just simply too great. What I mean by that, by too great, is I feel like God's taking it just too far. And logically, when I think about people and grace, I feel like God's taking it too far that some people shouldn't be reached. I I don't like saying that but I see it in my lifestyle when I judge people. I hate it. 
We think of some people like, oh man, that guy's just pure evil. Brady said it to me this week. This may really hurt your feelings, but Hitler could have asked for forgiveness. I don't know. You all don't know me. I didn't say this uh, maybe ever. Before I became a Christian, I had a job at, at, at the stupid restaurant. And there was a Christian that used to work there, and he used to tell me about the Lord all the time. And he'd just get on my nerves, and we'd get high and drink all the time at work. He'd just get on my nerves because he, he was the only one that wouldn't drink. We'd try to get him high, and he wouldn't get high, and he'd try to tell me about the Lord. And one day, I remember... Um, I was out partying and I thought about this kid and I was just annoyed. I talked to a whole bunch of my friends to going back to that restaurant. And I had my friends beat him up for no reason. When I think about grace, it's not fair because it's too far. There's a story in the Bible in the Old Testament where God goes too far. Some of you feel like it's you may be too far or someone else may be too far, but when Paul and Peter and John are wishing grace to you, if they want you to have something you simply don't deserve. I want you to have it. Jesus paid a price for you to have it. You gotta understand what too far looks like. There's a story in the Old Testament. It's, it's called Hosea. I want to challenge you to read it. It's too far, man. Culturally, there's not many people that would say, hey, no, 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 man. Just keep fighting the fight, man. Hosea, you She'll turn around. Don't worry, dude. God told this guy, hey, man, I'm going to put your life on display for the world to see. And I'm going to make your heart be understood by thousands of people because I'm going to make it look like mine so they understand how much I love them. Here's what I want you to do, Hosea. You're going to get one wife and you're going to go marry her. Her name is Gomer. Gomer was a prostitute. Hosea knew it when he married her. And the grief that she put him through on countless days as she went out and slept with other men, mostly just probably by addiction, not even by profession. And she would come home and say, I'm pregnant with someone else's kid again, Hosea. In the world that we live in, we go, nah, man, that's too far. You don't deserve that kind of love. Cut that person out of your life. But Jesus always pushed the envelope. And the reality is, is that Hosea's heart was God's and I'm Gomer. And I'm constantly not doing what I promised God. This is your pastor. I'm telling you, we're all hypocrites. Because of God, this month, I'm going to pray every day. God, I'm going to go out an hour and a half a day. I'm going to pray in the Holy Spirit. The next day, I walk out of the prayer room and I'm yelling at my kids. Why? Because I'm Gomer. And I love the things of this world. And I covet. And God's looking at me going, son, it's okay. God demonstrates his love towards us. That while we were yet sinners, he died for me. And it's not fair, and I don't like it, and I don't want it. And I want to earn it, and I want to fix it somehow. But 
It's in your weakness that he's made strong because in your brokenness, some of us are waiting to pray until we get right. You can't get right. That's what it will define the love of God when he says, let me fix you. Let me help you. Let me love you. God, I've never known a love like this before. Never known a love like this before.